Welcome to Two Inches Off the Ground. When you are enlightened, you live your life two inches off the ground. Thank you for downloading this episode. Please give me five stars on Apple Podcasts. And for good New Year's karma, write a review. This is season two, episode two, Christmas in Lapland and the Northern Lights. First of all, happy winter solstice to everyone. I am releasing this episode on December 21st, which is the winter solstice for the Northern Hemisphere or the shortest day of the year. And to our friends in the Southern Hemisphere, you are celebrating the summer solstice or the longest day of the year, which I'm so jealous. I would love the warmth right now, but happy solstice to all. I thought I would do story time and then end with a short story I wrote years ago about my metaphysical experience in Lapland. Okay, so what is Lapland? Lapland is Europe's only indigenous region, and it's located in Finland, Sweden, Norway, and part of Northwest Russia above the Arctic Circle. The indigenous people are called the Sami. It's spelled S-A-M-I, but it's pronounced Sami. The Sami are extremely spiritual and believe that everything on earth has a consciousness, such as the trees and the rocks, and they are shamans. Traditionally, they were reindeer herders, but now they do all sorts of things, but they still live off the earth and have that beautiful indigenous culture. Here's a fun fact. Movie-making giant Disney Studios highlighted the culture and spirituality of the Sami in their film Frozen 2 and even took the time to sign an agreement with indigenous elders. Filmmakers collaborated with a Sami advisory group in order to make sure that Sami traditions were portrayed in a culturally relevant and respectful way. It's kind of cool. My friend and I decided to celebrate Christmas in Lapland in December 2001. So that was 20 years ago. Man, I feel old. I feel old. She came up with the idea. We were both living in Estonia at the time as Peace Corps volunteers. Estonia is the country to the south of Finland. So if you look on a map, Estonia is right under Finland. Of course, you know, living in that area. And I spent a lot of time in Finland because I was dating someone. So of course, I'd heard of Lapland, I'd heard of the region, how beautiful and magical it is. And I knew it was associated with Christmas and Santa Claus. So I thought, why not? Kind of cool. So we decided to go to a place called Ivalo, Finland. It's I-V-A-L-O, if you want to look it up. And if you look it up, it is <laughs> the farthest you can go above the Arctic Circle. It is so far up there. It is, yeah, you, you are north. So if you look in a map, you can check that out. And most tourists go to a place called Rovaniemi, Finland, which has Santa's workshop and has a winter safari and it's extremely touristy. So we didn't want to do the touristy. And that's why we went up to Ivalo because Ivalo was pretty much undiscovered at that point. So we thought that would be cool. And it was also affordable. <laughs> so, you know, remember we were Peace Corps volunteers. So we could afford it on a Peace Corps salary, which was exciting. The plane ride there was interesting. I think we started out in Tallinn, Estonia, which is a capital. And we got to Helsinki. And then we boarded another plane. 
and it made a stop in Rovaniemi, I believe, and then it made a stop in Evolo, and it was packed. There was not one seat left. You could tell most of the people were tourists going up to Rovaniemi, so we boarded the plane, and we weren't taking off. It was 45 minutes later, and we couldn't figure out why we weren't taking off. Finally, someone came on the loudspeaker and said, there is one unaccounted piece of luggage and we have to account for it. Now, keep in mind the date. This is December 2001. September 11th had just happened and it was a really scary time. It was a scary time to fly. Even if you weren't in the States, even in Finland, they were taking that very seriously. So we had to sit on the runway while every piece of luggage was taken off and accounted for. But the flight attendants were really smart because what they did is they went up and down the aisles with mulled wine, which is hot spiced wine, and they just kept feeding all of us wine. And uh, everyone was fine, (laughs) you know? We were probably delayed to two and a half hours, but everyone was fine because, you know, everyone's just drinking and drinking. Today in the U.S., you probably couldn't do that, but it was really fun. I remember that. We finally took off. Everything was fine. We took off. The luggage was accounted for, and we stopped off in Robinimi and dropped off basically the whole plane and then continued on to Evolo, and it was us and maybe eight other people. There was no one. So the cabin owner, we stayed in these cabins. He comes and he picks us up. We don't see much at night because remember, When you're up in Lapland, when you're that northern, they don't have much light during the winter. So a day for them would be from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. and it starts getting dark again. So even if he picked us up at 5 p.m., it was pitch black. So we really didn't see much. We went into the main cabin. I believe we had dinner quickly and then we went to bed. We woke up the next morning and the scenery was just spectacular. It's it's just beautiful. A vast expanse of snow, lake, trees, and the best part to me were the wild reindeer. Just the reindeer running around free. It's something that I've never seen before. And a reindeer is a huge animal. If you haven't seen one up close, they're absolutely humongous. (laughs) They have a ton of hair. They have the cutest faces, but they are not small animals like our deer. You know, our deer are very, at least here in the United States, our deer are very slight and very thin. They're not like that. They are big, husky, have a lot of muscle animals. And they also have moose up there which is cool. And this is where I learned that moose are pretty stupid because they can't tell glass. So they walk through glass windows. They walk through glass doors. They tell people not to have glass doors because a moose will just walk right through it. And when, you know, a moose is on the loose in your home, (laughs) it's probably going to destroy it, I would imagine. And they have a lot of car accidents involving moose because they don't move. And let's say you're in the mountain and you're speeding around the corner and there's a moose and you didn't see him because you're speeding around the corner and he's not going to move. There goes your car, right? The reindeer would keep warm against the outside walls of the cabin. The cabin owner warned us and said, listen, you might hear weird sounds at night like antlers scraping or you might hear rustling. That is the reindeer that are keeping warm and cozying up 
to that outside wall so they can get the heat from inside. We did hear the reindeer. We absolutely heard them, but we didn't bother them. We didn't try to take pictures or anything like that. It was dark anyway, but we didn't want to disturb them. But we definitely heard that. The next morning, we were given insular suits. They are the warmest piece of clothing, or let's just say man-made piece of clothing that you'll probably ever wear. It covers you from head to toe. Obviously, it has a hood. The temperature when we were there was negative 40 Fahrenheit. When it gets that cold, there's no difference between Fahrenheit and Celsius. So it's the same as Celsius. So the only way you could be outside was if you were given these insular suits. So the morning after we arrive, we go to the main cabin and we have breakfast. It's, you know, very similar to Estonia. They have a bread called Laib. I only know the Estonian name for it. That's the Estonian name is Laib. It's a black bread. You get a small piece. You get maybe a coal cut and a piece of cheese. And that's pretty much it. But that morning we had fresh reindeer meat and it was unbelievable. I had reindeer meat down in Helsinki and I wasn't impressed at all. But when it's fresh up in Lapland, it's absolutely delicious. I know some of you aren't meat eaters and I totally understand that. But if you are, and if you have the chance, I just have to say it's pretty good. Something else that we were just fascinated by was the features of the cabin owner and his wife, meaning their facial features. They were both beautiful, older people. They had the Sami look to them, meaning the wife had the blonde hair and those. they both had the crystal blue eyes that you die for, so beautiful. But then they had, you know, they had the high cheekbones of the fins, but then the rest of it was a Native American face. So it was a very interesting face that you don't see a lot of the time. And the husband had salt and pepper hair and again, those same type of features. And it was just, it's something that you don't see often because as Native Americans here in the U.S., you see the dark hair and the dark eyes, but there it's very different. So If you look up a picture of a Sami person online, they have a really interesting and beautiful and unique look and definitely like cover photo for National Geographic, really cool looking people. We spent the days snowshoeing. It's this beautiful blank canvas of white snow. We're amongst wild reindeer. No, they did not come close to us at all, but we saw them all the time just running in the mountains. And so my friend and I are hiking. You know, we're out there. It's been a couple hours. We see these German tourists doing something on the lake. And then the owner comes out and we're like, oh, they're building an ice hole. We go down to the lake and we meet them and And the guy was just like, oh my God, this is so much harder than I thought. This is insane because the ice is just meters thick. So it's not easy to build an ice hole. I guess this was their fun vacation thing they wanted to do. And I said to the German tourists, I said to both of them, listen, if you build this ice hole, I will jump in it naked. And they were like, really? And I said, yeah. I said, no problem. They were so psyched. So then my friend and I continue on our hike and we're going up the mountain and we see the German tourists, let's say two hours later, and they are still working. (laughs) 
on that ice hole. And my friend just looked at me and she said, you're fucked. Like, (laughs) you're going to have to go in that thing because they're not stopping. They are going to get that ice hole done. They did, in fact, get it done that afternoon. And that night, guess who had to go in the ice hole naked, probably around negative, you know, 45 degrees. (laughs) And um, my friend and I went to sauna which is right next to the lake. By the way, in these cultures, Estonia, Finland, Scandinavia, what they do is usually the sauna is by the lake. And then when they get hot, they go either in the snow or they build an ice hole and they go, you know, in the hole in the ice. Or during the summer, they just simply, you know, go in the lake because it's not frozen. My friend and I, we were in sauna I was just like, okay, let me get as hot as humanly possible. I don't know why I kept my socks on. And I can still remember what the socks look like. I I don't know why I did that. But anyway, so (laughs) I busted out of the sauna and went in the ice hole. And they had a ladder. I mean, it was pretty professionally done. Somewhere they busted out a ladder. And so (laughs) I had a ladder to go down into the ice hole. Everyone was laughing the German tourists were taking pictures. It was a husband and wife. They thought it was so funny. You know, I stayed in there not long, maybe 10, 15 seconds for people to take pictures. I can tell you uh, that was probably the coldest I've ever been. It's the Wim Hof method times 100. <laughs> if you guys know what that means, Wim Hof, he takes ice baths. So that was insane. I remember running back to the sauna and that was the coldest. My body was all red. It was it was insane. Besides that and besides all the snowshoeing, we just spent the days drinking mold wine and eating and going to sauna. And then one really fun activity we did was dog sledding. Now, here's the deal. When you go dog sledding in Alaska, for example, they make you sign a waiver because if you die, then it's not their fault, right? So for those of you not listening in the US, if you do anything dangerous, they make you sign a waiver. So we're up in the middle of Finland. No, we're up in middle of nowhere, Northern Finland, and uh, there's no waiver to sign, not a waiver. And usually when you're doing it in Alaska, it's just a straight shot. They take you to a field. There you are and the dogs are on the sled and you just go around a field. Not not in Lapland. Let me tell you what happens. I thought we were just going to do the straight shot with the dogs in the sled in the field. No, not at all. There were probably eight dogs attached to a sled. They were really cute. They were huge, huge huskies beautiful, beautiful dogs, as you guys know. They were like, okay, let's start here. It was in the middle of the woods. (laughs) I didn't realize that we would be whipping around trees and letting the dogs do whatever they wanted. So what happens is one person is sitting in the sled and is supposedly steering And then the other person where I started out is in the back of the sled standing and supposedly can step on the brake and stop the dogs. Okay, let me just tell you this. This is all bullshit. They tell you this to make you feel better. You're not steering. You're not, you're not stopping the dogs. Like they're just, they're doing whatever they want. So they tell them to go and it was I don't even know how to describe it. It was like going on a roller coaster without any safety bars or equipment. It was 
crazy. They were just whipping around trees. I'm not exaggerating. We must have whipped around like 30 trees. And I mean hugging each tree. And so I'm trying to step on the brake and I'm really small. So you can imagine, like, obviously I'm not going to really <laughs> influence the dogs that much, but I tried my best to step on the brake and I could kind of hear my friend being like, step on the brake. You could kind of hear her screaming. Let me tell you that brake really didn't work very much. It slowed them down at certain points a little bit, but not really. They were just going. They didn't care. They were just going for it, having a great time. And then we ended in a field and I thought I was going to have a heart attack, my friend too. (laughs) And we stopped. They gave us hot chocolate and then we switched positions. So then my friend was standing up and I was sitting in the sled. Let me tell you, I think it was worse sitting in the sled. I mean, I was hanging on for dear life in both positions, but I felt so out of control in the sled. I mean, you're just at the mercy of these dogs and they do whatever they want. So we went back in the woods and they're whipping around. <laughs> and um, it was pretty funny. It was, it was, it was an experience. Would I do it today? I think I would because I'm sure there's places I can do it in Canada or even, you know, upstate New York near me. I'm sure I can find places, but would it be as fun? You know, I mean, even though like I was scared and terrified, it was pretty cool. It was a good exercise and letting go. And I highly recommend it. The dogs are really cute. If you have that experience and if you're in a foreign country and they don't give a shit about if you live or die, just just know that. Just be very aware. Let's now go to the metaphysical. But before we do, let's talk sponsorship. I have a new sponsorship program where you can advertise authentically for 2022. This program is affordable. I can't stress this enough. It's a ton of value at a good price. And I give you three tiers of sponsorship you can choose from. If you are a metaphysical or spiritual coach, expert, business owner, podcaster, or author who wants to get the word out about your business or product to the right audience, take a look at my sponsorship program at freespiritpodcast.com backslash sponsor. And I just donated to one of my favorite podcasts for the holiday season. So if you love this podcast, why not donate? If you feel so inclined, please make your way to freespiritpodcast.com backslash donate and take a look at my fun metaphysical products while you're there, which honestly make great holiday gifts and they arrive digitally. So it's instant gratification. And it's great for, you know, you wake up on Christmas Eve or whatever you celebrate and you're like, shit, I forgot to get a gift for my friend or for my sister who's metaphysical, well, you can just uh, go on to freespiritpodcast.com and check out what I have and it's gonna arrive in their inbox instantly. So there you go. On to the metaphysical. The Northern Lights, also called Aurora Borealis, are a naturally occurring phenomenon where an atom collides with particles and they are carried by the solar wind. When the atom and particles collide, a surplus of energy is released, which results in a light appearing, hence the northern lights. 
Now, when I looked this up for you guys, I must have gone to five websites for an explanation and it is so scientific, (laughs) so drawn out. So that was the best explanation I could come up with. I found it really interesting about the surplus of energy. I found that was really cool, very metaphysical. So back to my story. So it's Christmas Eve, December 24th, 2001. And we're in Finnish Lapland, my friend and I. We ask the cabin owners where we should go to see the Northern Lights because that was our big goal. Obviously, really cool, very metaphysical, as you guys know. And they told us there's this huge lake and it's, you know, 15 minute walk, straight shot through some field. They said it's not a big deal, just bring flashlights, whatever and go at this time. And I want to say it was like six o'clock at night, because remember, it's six o'clock at night, it's pitch black there. So we walk, not a big deal, to this huge lake. We're in the insular suits. It was the absolute middle of nowhere. And when people are like, oh man, I've been to the middle of nowhere. I was in Tuscany and I saw all the stars. I'm like, no, 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 no. I hate to be a topper, but I'm telling you, this (laughs) was the middle of nowhere. When you were like at the North Pole, (laughs) on top of the world with no one around you, trust me, that's the middle of nowhere. And also, I forgot to say in my story that besides us and the German tourists and the cabin owners, no one was around. So that's what I'm talking about, how Evilo is completely undiscovered, at least for that time of year, because I think people didn't want to hang out in negative 40 degree weather, which I don't know why, because it's so fun. We're in the middle of nowhere. We go to this huge lake. We step on the lake because they tell us to do that. They're like, go to the lake and go on the lake, go into the middle of the lake. And we say, okay. So we're standing there and all of a sudden the light show begins. I was awestruck, breathless. It was, and it is still the most metaphysical phenomenon that I've seen to date. The energy was beyond magnetic. It was the most spectacular thing I've ever seen. As if the universe and source were dancing and singing for us with these brilliant lights, which were right above us. You know, I've seen the Northern Lights from Iceland and they were in the distance. I've seen the Northern Lights in Massachusetts and they were in the distance. This was... (sighs) This was as if we were almost in the Northern Lights, as if we could touch them, if I could reach out my hand and touch them. That's how close they were. And they completely embodied the entire night sky. And it was just, it, it, was, like, it was like being in the middle of them. It was like being in the middle of the most brilliant, vibrating colors that you've ever seen. I can remember it today. I can bring myself back there and still remember it. It was the best feeling. As soon as the lights appeared, they seemed to have left. It was 10 minutes, but all of a sudden they were gone. They faded away. And my friend and I were so giddy. I remember we hugged, we jumped, we were laughing. It was just this childlike giddiness. It was just, oh, it was amazing. A few years later, unfortunately, we had a falling out, my friend and I, that was my fault. You know, I was a really different person at that time and 
I had some issues and I did not treat her how she should have been treated as a friend, especially someone who's like a sister to me. She's been appearing in my dreams lately. Anyone who caught my last episode in season one, I talked about how my metaphysical TV, who turns on by itself, I like how I call it who, yeah, (laughs) it, I don't know who, that uh, turns on by itself, the other week turned on to the Northern Lights. So I feel like my consciousness wants me to remember this metaphysical holiday experience. And despite what happened afterwards and any mistakes I made with that friendship, I feel Source is reminding me of how magical the holidays are and to keep that giddy, childlike feeling. Despite what's going on in society, despite what's been going on for the last two years with COVID, it is a magical time right now. And I love preserving that memory as magical. To close out this episode, I am going to read you a piece that I wrote and workshopped in a class in 2004, and it's still not finished. I have sent it to literary magazines and received personalized rejections, which is a good thing, but they said I need to expand on it, which I agree now that I read it years later, but um, I just meant it as a small piece of flash fiction, but um. You know, that's something I may do in the new year because I want to get back to writing. It's about the experience that I just shared with you about the Northern Lights. Here we go. Sound, the Northern Lights of Lapland. It is December in Finnish Lapland and 40 below. The forest is silent and the lake frozen. In the night sky, the Aurora Borealis began to swirl. Listen closely. Hear them roar softly like a newborn lion. Watch the show. Lime green, brick red, violent purple, with a golden hue underneath. The brightness intensifies. So does the whispering chorus of swishing lasers that light up the celestial sky. Each color refuses to blend. On the shore is a lone figure She removes her hat and hood just to listen. The wind whips at her ears and face. All around her is a buzzing sound from a faulty electrical switch. The wind carries the noise to her eardrums. They pulse to the mechanical chant. She stands like that until the lights begin to fade and the sound returns to the purr of a kitten until, without warning or sound, the Aurora Borealis slip into the black abyss. Yeah, that was one of the interesting things about the Northern Lights is you can hear them. And I had an argument with someone about this because I read this story in a writer's group and the guy wrote back to me and said, you absolutely cannot hear them. I've seen them a million times. But when you are that close to them and you can practically touch them and you are literally in the middle of nowhere, Let me tell you something, you can hear the Northern Lights and it's the coolest sound ever. And that surprised me because no one talks about the noise. We just talk about, you know, no one talks about the sound. Everyone just talks about the light show and how beautiful it is. Of course, I get that, but it's really interesting when you hear them. And I wasn't imagining this because my friend heard them too. We were talking about that. So it's just another magical 
metaphysical aspect of the Northern Lights. I hope that you find the magical and the metaphysical this holiday season and enjoy both with a childlike giddiness. And of course, happy holidays to all. If you'd like to hear a traditional Native American winter solstice blessing, tune into my other podcast, Two Minutes Off the Ground. The link will be in the show notes. Until next time, live your life two inches off the ground.